idea what um, walking music. Yeah, victory. <laughs> Usually we have introduction music, the walk-off music there. Wow, that's how you worship God, amen? I love it. I love to hear God's people worshiping him in song. So please find your way in God's word to the letter we call Galatians chapter 4. And let me start by saying, after going through all this shutdown stuff, I pray that we never take for granted the freedom of meeting together every Sunday. I pray that we really look forward to meeting together and spurring one another on even more as we see the day approaching. Amen? I would also like to say that I am disappointed. I'm disappointed that I did not get to preach from the front porch. <laughs> I wanted to test my street preaching voice. That's why you see me turning this down because I know when I got up here it's going to be loud. And I apologize for my loud voice. You know, as we were trying to figure out how to do church back then, you know, Jim Shear said, well, we could do it in the field and let Rob yell at us. I'm good with that. But it really does bring joy to my heart to gather with the family of God and praise our Lord and Savior. Amen. And the reason we gather is, is we worship him. We gather to worship Jesus because he is worthy to be praised. We don't worship him because he saved us from a virus or he gives us a good job or a new car. None of that stuff. That's not why we worship God. We worship him because he is worthy. And it's as simple as this. Because he is God, that's enough. Amen? But it gets better. He's worthy because he is the author of our salvation. He is the great shepherd. He is the great high priest. He is the author of our life, the Holy One and the Lord of all. In the book of John, he is the way, the truth, the life, creator, God's shepherd, the great I am, the Lamb of God, and the only begotten Son of God. In the book of Revelation, he is the Almighty, the firstborn from the dead, the Alpha and Omega. He is the King of kings, and we will see, and we will see that today in our text. And in John, Hebrews, Romans, Peter, and in fact, from the front to the back, the word of God, it says that Jesus Christ is God. He is worthy to be praised, and he will be praised. The word says he is Lord of all, he is King of kings, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is why we have a God-given desire to come together and praise and worship him. Amen? Now, as we go through our text today, you may say, well, you know, we already know that. Or, or you may be saying, well, I've heard that already. And if you do, great. I'm glad you remember. <laughs> that means that God is at work in your heart there. But as we go through this letter, we, we, we see that Paul is making his case from every direction. It's not that he's repeating it over and over again. He's going to say, hey, look at it from here, or look at it from this side, or let me point this out to you. So as we go through this text, just know that we are looking at it in a different way. Today we'll see that he proves his point by the fullness of time and the sons of God. So let's begin as we uh, read through our text. Let's, let's start back in verse 23, chapter 3, verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, 
imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were, uh, you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are a Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Chapter 4. I mean there, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So Paul is continuing this teaching on the family of God. Verse 26 says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. It is through faith alone that you become a child of God. And it is, it is the ones who have put their faith in Jesus who make up the family of God. It is faith that, that unites and identifies the children of God. We are all sons of God or, or, or children of God because of our faith in Christ Jesus. And, and Christ is the one that unites us. There's no division. He is the uniter. As Pastor Jared taught, the law, the law divides. The law is the is the, in the beginning set apart the nation of Israel. And, and that's the point that Paul's trying to make to the, to trying to get across to the churches in Galatia. One of the purposes of the law was to separate Israel from the rest of the nations of the world. It was a divider. Second, we have learned that the law was also a guardian until Christ came. The law was a babysitter. It was to preserve the nation of Israel until the fullness of time had come. Verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed, until the Messiah came. The Jewish nation was imprisoned by the law. They were a slave to the law. The law ruled over them. The guardian ruled over them. The nation, the nation is, is Israel. Clear, the nation of Israel clearly knew this. The law became a part of, part of their lives from a young age. Uh, within the Jewish faith, you may have heard of the ceremony called the Bar Mitzvah. You've heard of that. It, it symbolizes a child coming of age. Jewish males actually become a Bar Mitzvah. Let me explain. What does that mean? Well, Bar means son of. Okay, we've heard this before. Do you remember Barabbas? Barabbas, he's the son of the father or son of the teacher. That's what Barabbas means. That's what his name means, son of the teacher. So, Bar means son of. Mitzvah means commandment. 
So when a young man comes of age, he has a bar mitzvah, meaning he is now the son of the commandments or son of the law. He is now officially under the law. He is now held accountable for his actions and he is now required to keep the law. The law has become his guardian, his babysitter. He is now a son of the law. So what is Paul saying here in our text? He says, look, you're no, no longer under that guardian. You, you're no longer a son of the law. You are now a son of God. Paul's telling Israel, you are no longer a son of the law. You have been set free. You are no longer a slave to it. Because of your faith in Christ, you are now a son of God. You have been adopted into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. Paul drives this point home again and again and again. He said, you must know that you know that you are in the family of God because of your faith, your faith alone. And I'm sure the churches in Galatia, I, I'm sure they wrestled with this text. Uh, you know, the, the, I'm sure they're going back through the scriptures and seeking the truth to make sure that what Paul is teaching them lined up with the word of God. Think about this. The Jews believed they were the family of God because of what? Their bloodline. You know, they very proudly said, hey, we are descendants of Abraham. For centuries, they believed that they were the offspring of Abraham because of their bloodline. And here comes Paul, and he says, and if you are, and if you are in Christ, verse 29, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's a lot to process. They're saying, hey, wait a minute, we're not Abraham's offspring because of our bloodline? Are you crazy? What kind of teaching is that? We're, we're, we're in the bloodline because of Christ. And if we're in there, now we're heirs according to the promise because of, because of Christ. And on top of that, Paul, you're going to tell me that the Gentiles who were never under the law are also grafted into the family of Abraham and thus heirs also? This is deep. This is deep for the churches in Galatia. They're probably thinking it would take an act of God to do such a thing. It would take an act of God to change the hearts of the people, and God acted, amen? When Christ came, God brought all of his children into one family. What does the word say? Verse 27, for as many of you were baptized into Christ and put on Christ. There's no Jew, Greek, there's no slave, free, male, female. You are all one in Christ. Whoever puts their faith in Christ becomes an offspring of Abraham, Jew and Gentile alike. They are all one big happy family. Amen? Right. <clears throat> and we who are here today should know this. We all became heirs according to the promise. We, became, we become sons of God when we put on our faith in Jesus Christ. We are in the family and heirs. We all received the blessing that God had promised. We are part of that blessing. That's exciting. That's, that's good news. That's worth shouting from the rooftop. And that's why we come to worship the King of Kings. Amen? Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Paul continues teaching. Look at verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 5. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions is something. 
So look, it's through faith. The ones who are under the law receive adoption as sons, as sons of God. Who's under the law? Who do we know? The Jewish nation. Christ comes, and if any of them put their faith in Christ, they are rescued. They are adopted into the everlasting kingdom of God. Now, for Gentiles, that is anyone who is not Jewish, they're not enslaved by the law. They're not under the law. But they were in exile. Remember that word. They were in exile. So they had to do the same thing the Jews did. They had to put their faith in Christ. And when they did, they were adopted into the everlasting kingdom of God. One big happy family. Can I stop there for a moment and say that's something we are to strive to be? You know, as children of God, as sons of God, the church body, we are to strive to be one big happy family. And I want to say hats off to you people. I see what you're doing. I know what you're doing for the sake of the gospel. Praise the Lord. You know, I, I hear people say, well, you know, there's never going to be a perfect church because church is made up of a bunch of sinners. You know, I, I get that, but we should not use that as an excuse for not doing what we're told to do. You can't use that excuse anywhere else in the world. Andrew, you've been late for work three times this week. Well, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. <laughs> That ain't gonna fly. It doesn't work that way. Sorry, sir, go find yourself another job. But you see what I'm saying? We can't use that excuse. We are commanded to love one another, and that's what we do. We strive towards that. God says, they will know that you are my disciples. How? The community will know that you are a son of God. How? The world will know that we are in the kingdom of God and not of this world. How? by how we love one another. So it is a true blessing when I see the children of God putting forth a lot of effort into being one big happy family. Y'all bless my heart. If there's a need, it's met. If there's a hurt, then we are there to comfort. We are praying for one another and serving one another all for the glory of God. Amen? And when we do, the light of God is shining. The word is spreading in this community. I pray that everyone knows that the family of Living Hope love the word and that they love one another. One big happy family. And nobody models that better than Pastor Ryan. He's one of the holiest guys I know. <laughs> he challenges me all the time. You know, he has an abundance of love for God and God's family. We've been pastoring together 12, 13 years, 14, I don't know. A long time. He's put up with me for a long time, and he has never once said anything bad about me to my face. <laughs> Not once. He's always been on the side of unity in the family of God for the sake of the gospel. I've seen his sacrifice time after time in order to glorify God. Thank you, brother. So they're no longer any sons of the law, no longer bar mitzvahs. The purpose of the law had been fulfilled. One of the main purposes of the law was to preserve the nation of Israel to bring in the fullness of time, as we see in our text, to preserve the nation 
so that the promise of God would be fulfilled. Look down at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, to better understand what the fullness of time is, we have to go back in time to see the power of love. We have to go back to the beginning, back to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we see the all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign God creating the universe. History lesson here. We see, the God cre we see that God created everything with the word from his mouth. And when he had finished, he looked at all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And we move into chapter 2, and we see the creation of man and woman. And after creating them, God did something that was very special. He put them in the Garden of Eden. He gave them dominion over the earth. They were in full fellowship as sons of God. They were heirs of all of God's creation. They were created in the image of God. All was good in God's family. They were one big happy family. But when we get to chapter 3, everything changes. Adam and Eve rebel against God by disobeying his command. One command, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They disobeyed. Because of their disobedience, what happened? They were exiled. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Their relationship with God had been destroyed. And they had become, listen, no longer sons of God, but sons of the serpent or children of Satan. At that point, what we have is creation, mankind, dying in alienation from God. Mankind had become sons of Satan in exile, and they would never have the right to call God the Father, Abba Father. If something does not change, mankind would never be able to receive the inheritance originally created for them. They would never have the intimate relationship with God that they were created for. Man would be left in exile, spend an eternity separated from God. Mankind's in a bad spot. There's nothing they could do to restore the broken fellowship with God. But there is good news. The good news is, the gospel is, God had a plan from the beginning. God would restore fallen man. God would redeem man to himself. God would make fallen man sons and daughters of God again, as we see in our text today. God would provide a way by which the lost inheritance could be recovered. Here's his plan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God speaking to Satan. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. At that moment, when God said that, God declares Satan is cursed. Why? Because it is Satan whose children Adam and Eve have become. They have chosen him as their father. Because of their disobedience, they chose to have fellowship with Satan instead of God. How do we know that? 
Well, what happened immediately after they sinned? What happened? They ran from God and hid themselves. The fellowship with God was broken at that time. And instead of seeking the fellowship with God, they ran and hid themselves. Now, this was not in the history of man, the first game of hide and seek. It was not. They were fleeing from the one true holy God. They were fleeing from him. Fellowship was broken. They had become sons of Satan. And so God put them in exile. God threw them out of the garden. He put them out of his presence. And to make sure they clearly understood what had happened, God put an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance of the garden to make sure they were never, ever able to go back in. Exile. Absolute alienation from God. So what's the plan? What's the plan? God puts a curse on Satan? Yes. But what's the plan for God to redeem mankind, to restore that fellowship? How does he redeem the ones he created to be his children and heirs? The ones he created to share intimate fellowship with and to receive his inheritance. How does God redeem them and make them sons of God again? It started by cursing Satan, he says. There will be enmity, that is hatred or conflict between you and the woman. He says between your seed and her seed. In other words, your offspring is going to have conflict with offspring of a woman God tells Satan there is going to be a battle and you and you're ultimately going to be the loser in the end God says he shall bruise you on the head that is he quote he there is one who will come out of the loins of a woman who will bruise your head he will deliver a fatal blow you will think you have victory but all you will be able to do is bruise his heel, a temporary or minor and minor wound. The seed of the woman will be in conflict with Satan. And when the conflict reaches its apex, the seed of the woman will only have his heel bruised and Satan will have his head crushed. So the curse of Satan, the curse that God put on Satan is a curse of conflict ultimately to be resolved when the one, the one, the one who is the seed of the woman comes to destroy Satan. In other words, there is a man who will be born. A man from a woman will be born to take back the dominion of Satan and redeem those that are captive to his power by dealing Satan a fatal blow. I want to say that again because it's so important to know. The prophecy that comes from God himself is there will be a seed, a man from a woman who will be born to take back the dominion of Satan and redeem those that are captive to his power by dealing Satan a fatal blow. That's God's promise here in Genesis. So there is a seed, singular, a seed, a man that will come out the loins of Eve. Now, that's a wide open field on who it could be, right? That's a lot of people that could, quote, be the seed. So if we are to know who this seed is, this man is, we need to start narrowing the list of who it could be. Let's begin by doing that. As we continue to read in the book of Genesis, we come to the flood, right? God sends the flood to the whole earth. The world is drowned with the exception of eight souls. And so the line in which the seed that will bruise Satan, Satan's head is coming 
is narrowed down to the family of Noah. And Noah had three sons, and one of them was chosen to be the line. His name was Shem. Next, we find Abraham, who is in the line of Shem, is promised that the seed will bless all the nations of the earth, Genesis 22:18. And so the, so the offspring is going to come through Eve, through Noah, through Shem, through Abraham. That narrows the, narrows the field a little bit. The promise then moves through Abraham, where we see the promises of blessing all the nations of the earth. From there, the seed goes through Abraham's second son, his name is Isaac. And through Isaac's second son, Jacob. Through Jacob, son of Judah. Shiloh comes through the line of Judah and through Judah's royal son, David. That brings us to King David. The field has now been narrowed down to the bloodline of King David through the royal bloodline. Remember, he is king of kings. So far, the seed will come through Eve, come through Noah's line, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and then David. And if you go to Matthew 1 and just begin reading right there through 17, you can see the genealogy of Jesus Christ. All the way from Abraham down to Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. The seed that was promised in Genesis 3.15 is Jesus Christ, who was born of a woman, who was born under the law, was the fulfillment of that promise back then. Jesus came to engage in, engage in a fatal conflict with Satan that would result in Satan's destruction and devastation and the liberation of many slaves to become what? Sons of God. No more sons of Satan. So you see, when we sing victory in Jesus, it's more than just Jesus dying for our sins. Jesus has been given the, the name King of Kings because Jesus was victorious in this battle. Not only did he conquer death, he conquered Satan. And by doing so, he set man, mankind free to become the sons of God. Did you see what Paul did with his text? As I say, he comes from all different angles. He took them right back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. He wanted the people to know that no longer are you sons of Satan. You are no longer in exile. You are now sons of God. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you are in full fellowship with God again. That's why he is worthy to be praised. And we see that that was the intended purpose in the Garden of Eden. Full fellowship. So as we look back in history, Christ, in the fullness of time, was sent by the Father. He was the seed that was promised, and he fulfilled every prophecy that had been written about the Messiah who would come so that we all can know that he is the one that we are to put our faith in. From the lineage, from Eve to Abraham to King David to the special prophecy, He's like being born of a virgin or where he would be born. He fulfilled them all so that we can know that we know. But none of this would have been possible if God had not kept the nation of Israel intact. What was the purpose of the law? To preserve the nation of Israel. Because that, that is where the promised seed, the promised one, would come from and through which goes all the way back to the promise of David, to Abraham. 
Jesus was the one. He, he was the one who had his heel bruised. It was a temporary wound. It was in the fullness of time that Christ died on the cross. Christ came, engaged in the conflict with Satan. Satan bruised him temporarily. Satan thought he had victory, but this victory was short-lived because Christ did what? He rose from the dead and dealt a crushing blow to Satan. There's victory in Christ Jesus. Amen? And because of the victory we have in Christ, verse 26 here says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Because of the victory, paradise is regained. We are brought out of exile back into fellowship with God. The fullness of time had come. We are sons of God again like he had planned. No longer sons of Satan. No longer sons of the law. No longer sons of disobedience. We are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, now that we know what we know, let's go back and read chapter 4 again. And let those words sink in your heart and in your souls. Now I say as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ, from, differ at all from a slave, although he is an owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were, un, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to redeem us. That verse should ring in our heads all the time, all the time. At the perfect moment, God sent his son, not only to redeem those under the law, but to redeem anyone who would put their faith in Jesus. And with that faith, you receive adoption as sons. Adoption. You belong to this family, this family. You used to belong to the family of Satan. You used to belong to the sons of the law. But now you have been adopted. You're now sons of God. You know, there, there, there's something we need to understand about adoption and how precious, how precious it really is. Think about this. As we think about us being adopted by God, when you give birth, you get what you get. <laughs> you don't get to choose. You take home what you get. But when you adopt, you choose who you're going to adopt. How precious is that? You choose who you are going to bring into the family. We're adopted by God. He chose us. He chose us. Now think about your salvation. You're adopted into the family of God. How precious is that thought? That God chose you and me to be his children. What amazing love. How can that be? 
I know my heart. How can that be? Does that not move your heart? Does that not bring you to your knees? Does that bring you to worship the one who is worthy to be praised? Amazing love. How can it be? You adopted me. One more thing about adoption. When you're adopted, you don't get to pick who your brothers or sisters are. You tracking? In the family of God, we do not get to choose our brothers and sisters. God chooses the family. God chose this family. And we are to love one another because what is God, because of what God has done for us. And because God has commanded us to do so. We all become one big happy family. And we can do this because what God has given us. We understand what Christ has done in the fullness of time because what God has given us. Look at verse 6. For verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So God sent the spirit into our hearts. Fellowship is restored. We now have an intimate relationship with God the Father. We call him Daddy. We call him Daddy. But we couldn't do this without the Spirit. Could not do that at all. Think about this. You can go do good works without the Spirit. You know, you can help an old lady cross the street, work at the food bank. You, you can do stuff like that, come mow my grass. You can do good things. You can do good works without the Spirit. You can help others in a time of need. You, you can you change the way you act without the Spirit. You know, you could, quote, become a better person without the Spirit. But you cannot know without a doubt that you are a son of God without the Spirit. That's one thing you cannot do without the Spirit. He is the one that reveals the truth to man. He is the one that gives us the comfort of knowing, the peace of knowing that we are children of God. So when you think about the fullness of time God sent forth his son, think about the redemptive and restorative process God set in motion with the prophecies of Genesis 3.15. That prophecy finds its culmination in the seed who is Christ who dies the sinner's death, who rises to, new, to, life, to life with new life. And he gives that same life to those who believe in him. Christ came, dealt a crushing, killing blow to Satan. And because of his victory... Christ freed all who have been in slavery to Satan and sin to become sons of God. Amen. So you have to ask yourself today, am I in exile? Whose son am I? Am I a son of God or am I a son of disobedience? Search your hearts today. Pastor Adam.